The Trudeau government's narrative about its decision to invoke the Emergencies Act continues to crumble, and polyev derangement syndrome reaches a new level in the legacy media. It's Fake News Friday. I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Kenneth Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast this week. And as usual, I am joined by my colleague, Harrison Faulkner, producer at True North and a journalist as well. Harrison, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Candice. So we have a couple of announcements, some big, big changes, big news happening here at True North. We continue to grow. We continue to reach more and more Canadians every single week, every single month. The growth that we've seen so far in 2020 is truly astonishing. We've nearly doubled our size since last year. And last year was also a great year for us. We covered the election. We continue to grow. We hit all kinds of new metrics. So we, we just continue to grow. I think there's so many Canadians out there who have an appetite for something different from the legacy media. They like the independence of True North. They don't want um, to be ha- have talking points crammed down their throat, and they see that there is something wrong with the way that the media tells a story. So, 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 so just to say, we're you know we're really happy with the with the direction True North is going. And again, to the audience, people tuning in, just. Thank you so much for your support, for, for continuing to, to tune in, to share our stories. Those who financially support us, uh, we are incredibly grateful. We receive all of our money from our viewers. We don't, we don't take money from the government. We don't take the Trudeau government's bailout grants. Uh, we're not involved in any of those schemes. So the way that we are funded is entirely by people who appreciate our journalism, enjoy our reports, and, and you know, put their, put their wallets uh, where they're, you know, put, back it up with their wallets. And we, we truly do uh, appreciate that. So Harrison... Uh, we have a couple of new podcasts that we are introducing. Uh, folks might have seen Rupa Subramania. Uh, she launched her own podcast. We're incredibly uh, overjoyed to be joined by her uh, at the network. She's a writer over at the National Post and a freelance journalist, and she does some great work. She lives in Ottawa, and she covered the trucker convoy, I think, better than just about anybody. So she had her first episode this week. If you haven't tuned in already, go check that out uh, right after you watch this uh, show. It was really, really great. She talked about the World Economic Forum and and sort of drilling down into what they do, uh, what they want to do. And same with the World Health Organization, talking about these two supposedly taboo topics that we're not supposed to talk about. Um, these really, you know, powerful uh, lobby groups, essentially, that, that want to coordinate global policy. Yeah, so Rupert does a deep dive into that. And then we're really pleased uh, yesterday to release an, another brand new show. Uh, this one hosted by you, Harrison, uh, Harrison Faulkner, Ratioed. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your new show, Harrison? Yeah, so it is basically going to be a social media commentary show. We're going to go into some of the worst takes of the week, some of the cringiest social media posts. We're going to laugh, make fun of some of these posts, and we're also going to provide some much-needed commentary. I made this point on the show yesterday, Candice, that social media really is the new cultural battleground for these issues, and I think True North recognizes that and wants to to make sure that our audience – Uh, can get some good coverage on what's going on on these social media feeds because, I mean, there's just so much content. As you know, when we we have this show every week, we pretty much have too much content to get into. So we're going to try and tackle that issue by creating this new show, Ratioed. So I'm super excited to have the opportunity and and really looking forward to having the show grow and, and and be a serious part of what we offer here at True North. 
Well, we're all really excited about Harrison. Uh, you're you're part of Generation Z, or I, I don't know what you call yourselves, Gen Z or iGen. And I th- I, th- I think part of the interesting uh, thing about your show is is tapping into the sort of zeitgeist among your generation, pointing out some of the sort of very extreme woke ideology that does exist in your age group, which is I don't think the norm. I don't think that's the sort of where they the the the, the average moderate young uh, Canadian is, but sort of seeing the sort of stuff that they put out there about themselves and sort of how out of, out of tune it is with, with the rest of, of the Canadian population. Uh, tell us about the title ratioed. What does that mean? Well, so ratioed is basically when a social media post gets way more comments or way more quote tweets, quote tweets, excuse me, than likes. So it basically is the, the one big indicator that you missed the mark on social media if your post gets ratioed. And I think, Candace, you, you raise a good point there about how uh, this is what our generation is talking about. We are paying attention now to what, what these, uh, I mean, frankly, you could call them, the, there are radicals out there that are pushing um, very extreme political agendas on social media, and they have no shame in putting it out there. So we just want to try and uh, talk about it, show people what, what is being said. And I think the rise of accounts like Libs of TikTok, if you've seen them on Twitter, posting these videos of these teachers talking about gender ideology or what else, uh, whatever sort of radical uh, political movement is, is in style, usually it gets picked up by these accounts. And there's a real appetite for people to talk about these things and to show people just how insane things are getting in this generation. So like I said, I mean, I think it's, I think it's what our audience wants. It's a new opportunity for us to break into a new audience group as well, a new demographic, um, which I think is, is valuable for everyone. And I think it's, it's just much needed content, really looking forward to it. Well, one of the things that I find really interesting is that the the media has really picked up on this woke culture and they, they've sort of channeled it and a lot of them have taken it on, you know, not just media, but big corporations, corporate Canada, you start to see these strange phenomenons where, uh, you know, people put their pronouns in their bios and, you know, all of these sort of woke uh, critical race theory concepts creeping into to corporate governance. Uh, but, but at the same time, I noticed that when it comes to polling, right, Young Canadians, people in their twenties, uh, were very against the lockdowns. They were very, they were the most, the group most likely to support the truckers and support the sentiment behind the truckers. And we've seen with just someone like Pierre Polyev, the, the huge reach that he's been able to have with this sort of younger group of Canadians. So I, I, I wonder, Harrison, do, do you think the woke culture sort of represents your your generation, or do you think it's a, a deviation and and that it's it's unfair to categorize all sort of Gen Z Canadians as as part of this? woke tribe so i think it's definitely unfair to put us all into these the extreme woke category because i think that um there's a huge rebound effect with all of this the more extreme you go the more people will eventually i guess get off the ship and realize just what just what a disaster it was and you push people to the edges and i've seen polling and data that shows that the younger generation a generation even below me is supposed to be one of the most conservative because they've been They've been forced to listen to teachers tell them insane things, or they're forced to watch things on TV that they know is just not right. Um, so I think that there's definitely a rebound effect, right? If you if you keep pushing too far, eventually people are going to come to their senses and realize, actually, hold on, this is this is actually insane. This is not at all what uh, this is not at all what we want for our society and for our life. And you were right about the trucker convoy because, of course, young people 
have to get out. They have to get jobs and they're not going to be getting corporate cushy jobs where they can work from home necessarily. Uh, usually that, re that requires them to maybe working in retail or work at a restaurant. And if you shut everything down or you force people to, for example, uh, take a vaccine to get a job, that is going to have some sort of negative backlash. And, and of course, younger people are going to take issue with it when they're the ones that end up paying the price. So I know you've talked about this on your show about how actually the, gener the younger generations are, are oftentimes the most affected by these lockdowns, by these policies. I know that when you talk to Matt Strauss, he said that as well. And I think it's, it's the case that uh, there is, you know, if tapping into the nerve of, of younger Canadians who are really frustrated, really disappointed by the direction of the country, there's a lot to be done there. And there's a, there's a lot of people that, that want this sort of content. Well, that's so great. Ray Shud uh, with Harrison Faulkner. We're so uh, excited to be, be hosting that. It's going to be every Thursday. So uh, after, you, after you check out this episode, after you check out the Rupa Supermania show, uh, go check out Ray Shud with Harrison Faulkner. It's going to air every single Thursday here at True North. And so just final bit of uh, announcements here at True North. So before, for the last year and a half, the Candace Malcolm Show has run every single day, Monday to Friday, and we've had so much fun putting that together. We are scaling the show back for the time being. So the Rupa Supermania show will fill the uh, block on Tuesday, ratioed with Harrison Faulkner on Thursday. We're going to be bringing in some new content as well to fill those slots. And part of the reason why is because um, I'm excited to, to announce my husband and I are expecting uh, baby number three at our household. And so I will be taking uh, time off starting this summer to be with my family, with my newborn and with my two other little kids. Um, so, so that is why Candace Malcolm show won't be uh, every day won't be won't be on at all uh, after after July, and we're we're going to fill the slot in with uh, lots and lots of other content at True North, and then I'll be back on the channel uh, sometime later this year or early next year. And so we're we're all uh, very very excited, and we're going to continue to provide lots and lots of content to True North viewers. So uh, with that, let's get to fake news Friday, Harrison. I think the big big story of the week was that the Trudeau government's narrative around the Emergencies Act and around the trucker convoy just continues to crumble. Every single week, every single day with this with this national inquiry, we learn things that just don't match with what the liberals were saying at the time, don't match with the liberal media narrative that was being spouted at the time. And we have yet another example this week. So uh, this story just came out uh, yesterday. Marco Medicino, the public safety minister, uh, the media tells us that he was he was just misunderstood. He was misunderstood when he said that the police asked for the emergencies act. So you will recall that Marco Medicino repeatedly told us that the reason that the government invoked the emergencies act wasn't because of Trudeau, it wasn't because of a liberal decision. It had nothing to do with partisanship, nothing to do with Trudeau's personal Personal hatred for these truckers. It was all just the liberals were taking advice from law enforcement. And so really, it was the law enforcement that made the decision and not the political operatives in the liberal government. Well, we have heard over and over again now that that's not true. Every single law official, uh, law enforcement official that was that has taken the stand in this national inquiry has said, no, that's not the case. And so the headline this week isn't that Marco Mendocino was wrong. It wasn't that he he lied and he, he misled the public and he misrepresented the situation. It wasn't even that he misspoke. It's that he was misunderstood. 
so he didn't he, he didn't have a misunderstanding you did he, he he was misunderstood and this is according to an official in the bureaucracy in his department everyone is covering for this liberal government it is truly wild so we we put together some clips for you uh first of all this is a clip of marco mendicino who repeatedly said that the reason that the government invoked the emergencies act is because they were just following what the law enforcement said here is that clip we invoked the act because it was the advice of nonpartisan professional law enforcement. That's the reason why we had to invoke the Emergencies Act, and we did so on the basis of nonpartisan professional advice from law enforcement. We were um, following the advice of uh, various uh, levels of, of, the, uh, of law enforcement, including the RCMP. After calling upon the police forces, we invoked the Emergency Measures Act. We wanted to be sure at bottom that we were giving law enforcement all of the tools and the resources that they needed. It was only after police told us that they needed this special power. The Ontario Association, um, the Canadian Association, uh, law enforcement was was um, was very strong. I don't want to speak uh, for every last serving member uh, of, of law enforcement, but there was a very strong consensus that we needed to invoke the act. A strong consensus that we need to invoke the act. You can hear him say it over and over again, that it wasn't his decision, Harrison. It wasn't the liberal government. It wasn't anything to do with petty politics. He was just taking advice from the people who run the law enforcement side of things. Uh, do you think he was misunderstood? What do, you, what, what do you think of this take from the media? Well, Candace, I don't know how many times you can be misunderstood before it turns on the person saying it. It's not us who is misunderstood about what he's saying. He seems to be mistaken about the actual course of events that he was a part of. I mean, how many times have we seen this? I've been all over the inquiry and posting clips on my Twitter trying to get the message out there. Because one thing I've noticed is that aside from what we're covering here, Candace, there's not a lot of coverage happening on the inquiry. People are not reacting to the fact that, as you said at the beginning, Trudeau's narrative is totally crumbling apart. And just because you can, you know, the minister can say, that he acted on the basis of law enforcement and the request of law enforcement. But if the RCMP commissioner, if the Ottawa police chief, the former Ottawa police chief who was fired because he wasn't doing enough, and the Gatineau mayor all say that they didn't request the government to invoke the Emergencies Act, and they confirm it in the inquiry, then it's clear, Candace, that this narrative is, is obviously just not the case. What Trudeau is trying to do is find a scapegoat. What the minister is trying to do is find a scapegoat other than himself to to pin the blame on this horrible mistake to invoke this ridiculous uh, this this ridiculous measure, uh, I think I think unfortunately for Marco Mendicino he may be the one that gets thrown under the bus because this inquiry has definitely not gone the way the liberals wanted it to. It seems that they're going into it. They appointed the liberal justice right the the former liberal staffer who's now a judge to head the inquiry, and they had they had this probably mapped out in their minds about how they're going to get out of it. They're going to immediately start pinning the blame on, on the far right, on the extremists, as they tried many times, and it hasn't gone that way. The Bloc, the NDP even, and the, uh, and the Conservatives, of course, and even the Senators, almost all the Senators on the inquiry have been taking the Liberals to task over this and exposed their narrative. Well, we have a clip of those officials that you did mention. So so you can juxtapose uh, what the minister is on camera saying repeatedly, that it was law enforcement that advised him. Uh, and then now let's look at what those law enforcement agents say when they were asked to testify in front of this inquiry. Here's that clip. As a law enforcement agency with primacy for national security, did you ask the government 
or representatives for the invocation of the Emergencies Act? No, there was never a question of requesting the Emergency Act. There was thought, a question. Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, I'm sorry. So you never asked for it. Do you know of any other police leadership that asked specifically the government for, for the invocation? No, we actually reached out to various police agencies when there was talk about some of the authorities within that they were proposing, and of course we were consulted. Did the Ottawa police make a request to the federal government to invoke the Emergencies Measures Act, yes or no? So we were involved in conversations with our partners and with the political, um, the political ministries. Uh, we didn't make a direct request uh, for the Emergencies Act. I'm wondering if you could confirm whether the city of Gatineau or its police services requested the federal government to invoke the Emergencies Act during the Freedom Convoy. Merci pour votre question, Madame Bloch. Thank you very much for my question. No, the uh, city of Gatineau did not uh, uh, declare an emergency or request the uh, act, uh, but uh, it did provide uh, considerable support to the RCMP. Did yourself or anyone in the OPS request the invocation of the Emergency Act? I did not make that request. I'm not aware of anybody else in the Ottawa Police Service who did. So no one, no one made the request. No one's aware of anyone who made the request. And it, to, to me, it kind of comes back to media coverage because at the time, no one was holding this government to account. They had all bought into this idea uh, that there was some kind of a January 6th moment coming in Canada and that these people were truly reprehensible. They were white supremacists. They were probably all murderers. And they, this needed to stop. Uh, so, so the media allowed them to get away with this. And now where it's time for some accountability, uh, you're right, Harrison, they hardly cover this, right? It's it's not prime time. It's not being covered on the news. You go to you go to CBC, National Post, Globe and Mail, any of these websites, they barely ever talk about it. And when they do, uh, they run stories like this. So this was over in the Canadian press. And they just repeat what the liberals want everyone to know. Medicino was misunderstood when he said, please ask for the Emergencies Act, according to this official. It's all misunderstanding. So they can't even bring themselves to say Mendicino is contradicted. Mendicino is caught in a lie. Mendicino's dishonesty is coming out. No, no, none of that. Just, again, very mild, very, uh, you know, understated. He was just misunderstood. It wasn't even him <laughs> that, that had the misunderstanding. It was you, the public, or you, the, you know, the, the media, or it was, it, was, it was someone else. It was Canadian. Canadians who, who misunderstood, uh, not the minister. So absolutely no accountability from the legacy media in the way that they are covering this. And uh, you made this point a couple weeks ago on the show, Harrison, I think it's worth repeating, that if this was in the U.S., if there was some kind of a unprecedented use of the authority of the federal government, suspending civil rights as much as you can in this country, um, using the entire force of the federal government, uh, suspending all kinds of other uh, charter issues and everything, um, and then there was an inquiry into it, it would be prime time. It would be on all of the news channels. It would be a huge story, especially if it was against a conservative government or a Republican government in the U.S. I mean, we have an example of this right now. There is a uh, inquiry in the U.S. into the January 6th riots. This happened 18 months ago. Uh, we pretty much have already gotten to the bottom of it and litigated it. A bunch of people have gone to jail. You know, 200 idiots stormed the Capitol. And, and, and you know, they're still dwelling on it, right? And it is prime time. The Democrats down there are trying to make it 
into this huge midterm election issue. Um, again, compare that to here in Canada, where the Trudeau government did something really unprecedented. It, this, uh, this act, Emergencies Act, had never been used before. It's supposed to be there for wartime, uh, you know, for, 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 for a, an invasion or, or some kind of internal uprising. Um, and, and yet, basically, no accountability. Uh, it's, it's such a stark uh, difference in how the media treat liberals uh, versus how they treat conservatives. Completely. And, and again, going back to the narrative that the law enforcement requested the act, if, it, if the U.S. government told the Canadian government to do this, or if the province of Ontario told the Canadian government to do this, why not say that? Just say to Canadians, in fact, we were, we were instructed by the provinces and we were instructed by the United States to do this. Would that be fair justification? Likely not. But if that's the justification, that if that's the truth, come out there and say it. Don't pin the blame on the cops who will then just tell the actual truth to the people and say, no, we didn't request it. And like you said, Candace, again, if this was if this was a January 6th style committee, then the liberals would be doing a lot better than they are. I mean, the January 6th committee to this day are, are I mean, they just they just basically shackled a former Trump office administrator in an airport and, and did it in public and brought him in, uh, basically put him into into the bre- into the brig because he was subpoenaed by the January 6th committee and didn't show up. So again, there's there's a total difference, right? The media coverage of the January 6th committee and the actions of that committee are are basically taking place and they're actually, you know, making serious headway, if you want to call it that. And this committee, which I think was designed to prop up the liberal narrative, is totally failing. I mean, it's just exposing the entire the entire debacle that was the Emergencies Act. And throughout this whole time, Candace, we have to go through this long list of of narratives that the liberals have put out there about the Emergencies Act or about the events in Ottawa that have since crumbled. I mean, we can just go down the list. Let's start with the wealthy donors. From March 18, 2022, Blacklocks reported that, in fact, the the wealthy foreign donors, Blacklocks reported that, in fact, it was Canadians who donated. This line about it all being from from the American uh, ultra-rich right wing is not the case. It was proven false. Another one, the RCMP saw no evidence of terrorist financing. So again, we are told this is a this is a terrorist act of foreign funding to to incite cite some sort of government over uh, you know government takeover turned out to be false. Again, the next one, the convoy was funded by Canadians, not foreigners. Like I said, they said the, they said the convoy was funded by the Americans and and by people from around the world, and it was actually just funded by the grassroots. FinTrack, the financial advisor, they said that. Uh, that they told the government that there was no ideologically motivated violent extremism that was funding uh, funding the event. I mean, just I'm not even going to go down the list. I mean, there's so many of them. The firearms at Coots, the arson attempt in Ottawa, uh, the woman who danced in the war monument. Again, all of these sorts of things, all the all the attempt by the liberals to paint this convoy as something it wasn't are all starting to unravel. It, well, th- there was never anything there there anyway, and and we knew that in real time. We were watching the convoy. The media were reporting on it. it was like a totally different event. Whatever they were watching, they were cherry picking the craziest people they could find and blowing stories out of proportion that were easily debunkable at the time. And they have since been debunked. And I'm very grateful for True North for going through and documenting that, so that we have it on record. That you know, just about every major narrative that the le- that the legacy media spun up from the trucker convoy uh, has turned out to be wrong. And right, when they created this national inquiry, the, the point was, why did the Trudeau government use this tool 
that should have never been used. Uh, let's look into why the government used it. Uh, of course, Trudeau and, and his liberal spin doctors and his friends in the media uh, painted it as if, no, no, the purpose of this inquiry is to look into the truckers and try to find out what their motives were and their ties to violent extremism and, and terrorism or whatever. And, and, and so they set it up that way in the media as if this was a national inquiry into the truckers rather than a national inquiry into the politicians who used the full force of government against the truckers. And and, and then to, to, to your point that you made about how Mark Manichino maybe get maybe ending up uh, being thrown under the bus, it's like, you know, they created this show trial and it's kind of backfiring on them because all of the information that comes out just keeps, they keep shooting themselves in the foot. It ke- keeps becoming incredibly evident and obvious to Canadians that there was no real justification, that it was all spin, it was all smoke and mirrors. And they continue to, to play this game. Harrison, the latest uh, this past week again, is that the government is now hiding behind cabinet confidentiality. So we, we've seen this over and over again, Harrison, where I mean, first we had the Attorney General, David Lametti, who, who basically just refuses to answer questions. And whenever he's pressed, he says, look, that's cabinet, that's confidential. It's part of, it's, it's protected under cabinet confidentiality. I guess I thought that line works so well uh, that even Brenda Lucky, who is the RCMP commissioner, tried to use it. The only problem, of course, is that Lucky's not part of cabinet. So she wouldn't have cabinet confidentiality. We have uh, some clips here of, as you can see, just more obfuscation, uh, refusing to answer basic questions, refusing to be clear and honest with the public about why they used, again, this unprecedented tool in uh, the government powers and uh, fortunately uh, getting called out a little bit uh, by conservatives uh, on the committee. So let's play that clip. Is that correct? I'm not going to betray cabinet confidence. Um, And and so the the financing measures came into place. In those consultations, did you consult with uh, provincial attorneys general? There were. um, We did have a consultation report uh, there and there were uh, again. I'm not going to betray. Uh, I'm not going to betray uh, cabinet confidences. When I, I would ask that uh, you undertake to provide um, the analysis and the information that that uh, you were made aware of, that you relied upon, to um, uh, t- you know to to be part of making the invocation for this particular uh, um, emergencies act, sir. Uh, thank you, Mr. Motz. I understand the sentiment behind the question, and I, I certainly share the, the goal of transparency. I think Canadians will understand that cabinet confidence is a critical part of our cabinet governance system. You know, we, we I can't get into the details of specific discussions, but I can say that... Yeah. Well, why can't we get when, into the details, Commissioner? Sorry. Uh, well, because uh, they were within cabinet, and and I'm bound by that cabinet confidence. But I can I can talk about in general. What I provided the situational report, which would have provided them uh, the details that they needed to uh, come up with some of the measures. Are you still maintaining solicitor and client privilege? Are you willing to waive that? Well, I'm also bound by cabinet confidence as well. You're not part of the cabinet. And You're not part of that confidence. <laughs> No, but I am when I provide them information in cabinet. To be continued. Oh, do I? Seconds. Oh. Go ahead. You're not part of cabinet. You're not an elected official. So why are you hiding behind cabinet confidentiality? Point Canadians of, point want of order, to Madam know. Chair, I would just request that the um, questions go through the chair rather than directly to the witness. 
I didn't think we were that formal, Madam Chair, that we had to we say through the chair. We weren't before the badgering, but now we are. The question? Uh, we stopped the clock. Okay, we'll go ahead. It's 37 seconds. Why do you feel you are bound by cabinet confidentiality as an unelected official? When I'm providing information within cabinet, I'm bound by the rules of cabinet. Are you part of the Liberal government, Ms. Lucky? <clears throat> Not at all. Are you a donor to the Liberal Party? No. You sure about that? I'm sure. Are you still citing cabinet confidentiality? Yes. So, Candace, as you can see there, they just have no interest in wanting to get to the bottom of the facts. They have no interest in trying to tell the truth. You saw David Lametti there basically say the same thing in maybe five different ways that, yeah, he understands that you want the answers. He understands Canadians deserve the truth, but he's not going to give it to us. He's going to hide behind cabinet confidence, cabinet confidentiality, as he says. He doesn't want to divulge or break cabinet confidence. And again, right at the end, you saw RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky try to hide behind cabinet confidence too, almost as if she, she kind of wishes, wishes she was a part of cabinet, but she's not. That's just the truth. She's a public servant, unelected, and whose job it is to do good by the people of Canada, not to serve the prime minister at the time. That's not the role of the RCMP commissioner. The RCMP commissioner is to, role is to, is to basically lead the, the, the federal police service and protect Canadians. And part of that is telling the truth. And, and rightly, uh, Larry Brock of the Conservative Party, who's, who's a part of the committee, and I have to say as well, both Conservatives on the committee, uh, Glenn Motts and Larry Brock, have both done an excellent job at trying to hold people's feet to the fire here. He just basically told Brenda Lucky straight up, you're not part of cabinet. Why do you think you can hide behind cabinet confidence? You know, you, you're not you're not actually bound by this cabinet confidence. So you have a duty to tell the truth. But again, that that doesn't work for Brenda Lucky. And and then, of course, Candace, they tried it one too many times. Chalk it up as another win for the truckers. The committee headed by a liberal justice, as we talked about before, is now telling the government that actually we are going to request we are going to request these documents. We do have a, a duty to understand what the government knew at the time. And why they invoked the why they invoked the act. So as you can see here on June third, True North wrote about the fact that the public inquiry was now was now telling the government we're going to request these documents from you. We have to get to the bottom of what's going on. So again, it's another L for Trudeau uh, for Trudeau and the Liberals. Their narrative is is crumbling, and their attempts to obfuscate, their attempts to hide, are being called out by the Liberal justice they handpicked to lead this process. So it's really all falling apart for them, Candace. Well, it's good to see someone is holding the Liberal government to account. It's too bad that our legacy media have no interest in covering it, and which is why, uh, again, I'm grateful for True North. Well, Harrison, I want to talk about Polyev derangement syndrome. We had an entire episode of the show on it a few weeks ago, and it continues uh, to thrive. And so uh, I covered this in my show earlier this week, an interview with Hamish Marshall, uh, where we talked about how the conservative numbers have just blown everyone's figures out of the park. Uh, 600,000 members, Pierre Polyev claims three. 311,958 on his website alone. Uh, this is dwarfing any previous uh, leadership race, any previous number of, of memberships sold by a political party. And it's so interesting to see how the media narrative has been proven wrong, Harrison, because uh, remember at first when we saw those big rallies at the Pierre uh, Polyev uh, campaign, the media sort of tried to downplay it. They tried to dismiss it. Uh, first, they said that, oh, these these big rallies uh, are really just, you know, uh, riding the, the, the coattails of the trucker convoy, that these people aren't partisan, they're never going to sign up for members, that 
Pierre's campaign is really disorganized and they wouldn't be able to have the groundwork. Uh, well, well, that was all proven wrong uh, based on this claim from Jenny Byrne, uh, Polyev's campaign advisor, uh, that no, no, all of those things are wrong. Uh, of course, m my favorite narrative about the Pierre Polyev uh, rallies with the media said that they were too white and that somehow discredited them because of the people, uh, the skin color of the people who go to your rallies apparently can be uh, discrediting. And so it's really interesting, of course, to compare how Polyev and the, and the conservative uh, leadership race in general, you know, you see the media downplay it, compare it to how they covered Justin Trudeau. A lot of people have been talking about this because back in 2013, Justin Trudeau claimed that his campaign had signed up 150 to 160,000 people and the media were like blown away. They were celebrating. They thought this was like a tremendous feat and that it showed how energetic Trudeau's fan base was and how he was so engaging and how he had this this big all this momentum, right? Um, r recall that the liberals don't charge anything for their membership. So all you, all you really had to do is just like get someone to write down their name and email address and they didn't have to put any skin in the game, right? Uh, compare that to Pierre uh, and the conservative party where you have to pay at least 15 bucks. So, so you're not just some random person off the street. You have to have that level of commitment to say, I'm willing to part with some of my own money to show that I support this candidate. So just so many aspects of what the media had said all along proving to be false, but the media being the media, they just can't let it go. And so they continue along this line, along this reasoning. Almost all of the news stories that I saw about the conservative numbers, they, they always say conservatives claim or, you know, you see it right in the in, built into the headline that this is a claim that it's not verified. Never trust a politician. Don Iveson had a piece um, over in the National Post, and he said that no one really knows the real numbers. It's a good rule of thumb in journalism to never believe anything that politicians or political parties say. Uh, you have to be professional skepticism. That's all well and good, and that is all true. You you do need to preface it, but but the emphasis is there, right? Just compare this to even just the story we just talked about, right? Medicino's out there changing his story, being contradicted left, right, and center, and the media still runs with whatever the liberals say. That's the fact. And then whenever a conservative says something, they always say allegedly or conservatives say or candidates claim uh, having that that uh, suffix there just to just to say well we just to plant some doubt in the reader's mind like we don't really believe this this is just what they're saying um, and and that that double standard is there and then we have another piece Harrison from our friend Gary Mason over at the Globe and Mail he wrote the the most deranged piece uh, a couple of weeks ago about Pierre Polyev well he continues down that line so I'll read a little bit from this column. He says, say what you will about Mr. Polyev's policies, many of which range from disturbing to all out bonkers. <laughs> his campaign is a well-oiled machine, so he's sort of reluctantly saying that uh, Pierre Polyev is, is, is good at his job. Can't can't help but throwing in that apparently his his policies range from disturbing to bonkers. Okay, um, and and he says basically Pierre Polyev's good fortune. His supporters don't see his own hypocrisy. He says this is my favorite line from the piece. Mr. Polyev is also a phony when it comes to his policies. His oft-stated intention to make Canada the freest country on earth certainly had an appealing ring to the mostly white protesters who participated in the self-described Freedom Convoy earlier this year, to whom he pandered shamelessly. So you can't even come up with anything neutral or, or <laughs> I mean, this is, this is just flat out uh, anti-conservative hatred and bigotry uh, masquerading as journalism. What do you make of all this, Harrison? Well, it, it totally is, Candice. And I mean, this is just what we've come to expect over these past few months. One thing I just don't really understand, though, is that you're seeing the same amount of, you know, you're seeing the same sort of vitriol and the same amount of negative coverage from the legacy media that you would see directed to people like Maxime Bernier. Uh, Pierre Polyev's campaign is staffed by 
pretty establishment figures in conservative politics, people who have been around for many years, who have, who have names inside conservative politics, and journalists know that. Pierre Polyev is not running some outsider uh, anti-establishment campaign. He's very much running from the inside of the conservative party. And it just so happens to be that right now, Canada is going through a major moment where we have a leader that has essentially uh, you know, severely damaged the trust of government and people and has shown them that their charter rights, frankly, aren't that protected. So, of course, a good candidate is going to jump on that and make it part of his campaign. But it's just it's just kind of weird to me that the legacy media have decided to attack Pierre Polyev so much and almost go go as far as to put him in the same category as someone like Maxime Bernier. It, it's kind of surprising to me knowing who's a part of Pierre's campaign. And of course, you know, we get the usual content from the Canadian press about how it's just a claim that the conservatives could be lying about this or they could not be telling the truth. Uh, and of course, when you compare that to the coverage that Justin Trudeau gets or the coverage that the liberals will get when they have some sort of event like this, it's never the same. Of course, the media wants to take some sort of uh, negative tone toward the conservatives because as your, as your show title uh, on Wednesday rightly pointed out, this is frightening for the liberals. I mean, this is this is frightening for the legacy media, for liberals, for the establishment in Canada. They have to reconcile with the fact that I think people are fed up with what they've been given by these people. They don't want to see this sort of this sort of constant negative press about them in the media. They don't want to see the government treat them this way. People are fed up and I think they know their time is coming to an end shortly. Absolutely. I think that so much of the momentum behind the Polyev campaign and the conservative movement more broadly is just a absolute dismay and disgust over this liberal government, over the way that they've been propped up by the NDP, an unelected coalition, the way that the legacy media lies and covers for this government, and the attitude of, of the Trudeau liberals. I think there are so many Canadians who are apolitical or nonpartisan, who, who watch from afar, and they've just had enough. They're, they're sick of it. And that is part of the reason why there is this huge movement. And it's like, these elites and these gatekeepers and these Laurentians who, who you know, they're grasping onto their their control of the country and they're they're seeing it slip away because people are really waking up to this idea that that, that somehow the you know the Trudeau government is 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 a well run uh, respectable government it, it certainly isn't. Well, Harrison, uh, we we wanted to end the show on a bit of a lighter note. I don't know if this is lighter, if this is depressing, or or if it's or if it's funny. I I, I find it kind of funny, but the Treasury Board of Canada uh, is promoting this weird new concept um, that we should all put our pronouns into our email. So this is what the Federal Treasury Board of Canada, the people who, you know, basically the people who let inflation run wild and, and, and you know, look at the state of the finances in our co country. You're wondering what is going on over at the Treasury Department. Uh, well, this is what the brain trust over there are spending their time on, um, you know, informational videos, shaming Canadians and, and, and teaching us uh, these good lessons about how we need to be more inclusive. Let's play this clip.
So there, there you have it. Harrison, we would all be uh, better off if we just, uh, you know, left the ambiguity aside and left the ambiguity aside and put our pronouns <laughs> right out uh, front and center so, so that we can all participate in this weird identity game um, of, of sort of, you know, the, the, the whole gender, uh, non-binary gender ideology that's that's all the rage on the far extreme left. Well, now it's it's reached the the Treasury Board. <laughs> what what did you think when you saw this tweet? It's such it's such a strange corporate phenomenon, Candice, that basically everyone in a corporate gig or a government gig needs to display their preferred pronouns by their name. I think in pretty much every big company that is the policy. If you are if you refuse, if you hold out because you don't believe that you have to disclose whether or not you're you, whether you go by he, him, or she, her pronouns, like a normal person, if you hold out like that, you're going to be, you're going to basically be for, you're going to be pressured into doing it, or you're going to be shamed for not, for not adopting this, uh, this so-called, well, it's, it's, it's in the name of inclusivity, of course, but you're, you're not allowed to not do it. And now the government is telling you that you have to do it. It's just such a strange thing. I think, I think in, a, in, hopefully, in my lifetime at some point, we're all going to look back at this moment in time and just question what we were thinking. I, I really hope this is not something that exists for forever. And maybe we can kind of get out of this weird moment that we're living through. And I hope that we do have some time to reflect and say, wow, that's just very strange. It's just very strange that we're doing this all of a sudden. Well, if, first of all, I find the idea of pronouns like fundamentally arrogant and narcissistic because you're basically telling other people who you work with or whom you may interact with this is how you will refer to me when I'm not around right this is this is how like like you will you will refer to me as she and her you will not refer to me in any other way for 99.9 percent of the population it's, it's pretty obvious when you interact with someone it include this includes trans people because if you were a man who wanted to appear like a woman you would dress like a woman and you would want people to refer to you using female pronouns uh, so, so the vast, vast, overwhelming majority of people fall into a very easily identified category, he or she. And, and, and you know, it's up to the discretion of the person. Sure, sometimes there's some awkward interactions, like the example at the Treasury Board where someone has a gender-neutral name, an ambiguous name. Um, okay, you know, fine, you have a, an awkward little interaction like this email that we that we saw. Uh, you know, how is it the end of the world? This this more this idea that that everyone must call me what I say. You know, I thought it was a passing trend on social media from a couple of years ago, like when the whole Jordan Peterson, uh, you know, I, I refuse to be compelled to use pronouns. I I, I really thought that it was kind of going to come and go, but it seems like now it's, it's you know it's not just the woke activists, but it's becoming more like you say mainstream and corporate and government circles. So we had the Treasury Board here. Why don't you tell us a bit about this? Uh, WestJet story that's um, that's also making uh, headlines in the news. Well, so of course when we prep for the when we prep for this show, Candice. Uh, the the prep has to be you know you do have to do a CBC scroll through because if you're ever short on content, just hit the CBC website and you'll find something immediately. And sure enough, before going to air, we found this this really strange CBC article where a transgender advocate calls out WestJet for forcing passengers to identify as male or female. Uh, she's very upset about the fact that a WestJet is not allowing uh, this, I, I, this woman. I said she, I don't want to misgender anyone. So I want to be careful here, of course. It'd be horrible to offend someone. Uh, but she says that it's, it's a problem because she can't put X on her uh, as her gender. And that because of this, WestJet is violating her human rights. Now, I have to say, 
I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of WestJet over these past few days. The WestJet CEO has been pretty vocal about trying to drop Canada's totally punitive and ridiculous travel restrictions. Um, and then here, the CBC, maybe they're trying to get at WestJet for taking shots at the government. Uh, well, now apparently they're violating uh, people's human rights because they're not allowing them to put X as their gender. God forbid, they, they, just, they, they just want to keep it male and female. Um, not allowed to do that in mainstream Canadian culture anymore, Candace. It, you know, you're right that the CBC is so out of touch. It's so easy to just pop on over to the site and you could do an entire episode just on whatever's on the, the front page there, but really trying to push these very extreme niche issues, I think turning most Canadians off in the process because no one's really uh, you're jumping up and down saying, yes, someone's human rights are being fundamentally violated because they're not allowed to identify as gender X. Uh, that's, that's not really the top you know, of, of all the things going on in the world, we've got inflation, we've got a looming recession, we've got a, a government with out of control spending, we, we have a fundamentally unserious prime minister, you know, for all the things to worry about in Canada, um, oh, not, not to mention any of the COVID stuff. Uh, I, I don't think that, that someone not being able to mark X as gender on a WestJet website uh, is really top of mind to most Canadians. Well, I think that's a, a good point to end it, Harrison. Thanks for joining Fake News Friday. We're really excited about your new show, Ratioed with Harrison Faulkner, which airs every Thursday here at True North. So, Harrison, great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Candace. All right, that's Harrison Faulkner. I'm Candace Malcolm. It's Fake News Friday on The Candace Malcolm Show. Mm-hmm.